Yo, T-Bone, did you produce this? Sounds good, right? I've read you ask about why Hunt the Yeti. I was, I was just going to start with their why. I mean, David Attenborough believing it could exist is probably a good reason. Yeah, that, that was a good reason. Before that, just this book I'd read in, in India. It's an account of a 50s British expedition to look for the Yeti. It was a huge, massively expensive expedition sponsored by the Daily Mail. In the 50s, Yeti mania had kind of swept the world after this British mountaineer shipped and took this photo of a footprint. So these guys went out there and they didn't come back with a Yeti. They didn't find a Yeti. Book's actually about the kind of pre-expedition trip to find out where to go, which parts of the mountains to focus on. And that trip found so many credible local stories with consistent tales because the foreigners didn't see it. It was like, well, it can't exist then. There are a lot of local stories and you just realised it had been twisted in, in the West into this kind of cartoon. Whereas there, especially in remote areas, people really believed in this and were talking about it as a real animal. You know, I wonder if you spend some time really getting up to the remote areas of the mountains, we could actually end up finding a story that led to some some proof. Yeah. I'm Andrew Benfield, and I am one of the presenters of the BBC Yeti podcast, the one that's a bit more of a believer. So the sound of the mountains, there's wind, there's rivers, there's something very particular to that part of the world, which is prayer flags. On a long string, you'll have little triangles of fabric with prayers written on. And when the wind blows them, it's a very effective way of, of practicing your faith, actually. You don't have to do anything. The yak bells, the whistles and calls of the of the shepherd, it's temple bells, it's your boots on gravel and snow, it's your, your breathing of very laboured a lot of the time. Andy likes to tell the story of the guy he met who talked about low-altitude sickness, right? But people down in the cities, they get disconnected from nature and from the uplands. And, and so it's a much more rational existence when you're in the lowlands or in a city and, and you've got the internet and you've got TV and you think that the sum of all human knowledge is there on the internet. And when you're up in these remote places, you are disconnected from that mode of living. You are back to a much more primal way of living. You're back to a much more dangerous way of living. A storm front coming in can be deadly. If, if you don't keep sure footing on a steep mountainside, that can be deadly. It is a different kind of existence, but also the cultures there are oral tradition, they're storytelling cultures, and that brings a lot of mythical elements into it, a kind of magic realist approach to explaining life. Whether or not the, the Yeti exists, I mean, there are lyrical, magic realist tales about the snow leopard, which definitely exists. The fact that they're part of that kind of oral tradition doesn't necessarily tell you whether they're real or imaginary, but they tell you they have an important role to play. I'm Richard Horsey. I'm the other co-presenter of the BBC's Yeti podcast, and I'm billed as the skeptic, although I become a little less skeptical over the course of the adventure. Andy approached me and was like, you know, we'd known each other for a while and he was, you know, hey, do you want to go on this motorcycle trip in northeast India? And I thought, yeah, this sounds great. And he's like, by the way, you know, I'm looking for the Yeti. I wasn't someone who thought that the Yeti existed or 
someone who thought they would ever go looking for the Yeti. But, you know, at the end of the day, who says no to a motorcycle trip through a runner child Pradesh? And if the reason to be there is to look for the Yeti, I mean, that's fine. But when I started getting into it, and when we started actually meeting the first people up in the high mountain areas, and, and they started giving the first kind of first person accounts, that really changes things. Because, you know, it's one thing to be skeptical. It's another to look people in the eye who are telling you a, a detailed story with, you know, seriousness and, and you know, not people who've come to find you, but you've sort of sought out. And to then say, you know, these people are just making things up. Now, that doesn't mean, therefore, they saw the Yeti. I mean, people make mistakes, people, you know, jump at shadows, but you don't just dismiss it. It's not, it's not something you can easily say, oh, this is just a joke or, or whatever. So I started to get, you know, more interested and, and take things a bit more seriously. I jumped at the chance to make a series with such opportunity to sculpt sound and like really transport a listener somewhere. I'm Dan, I am head of sound at Loftus Media and um, I was the sound designer on the series. And I worked with another sound engineer, by the way, it wasn't just me. I was working with a guy called Peregrine Andrews. Andy and Rich, their journey is, is as important as the journey of finding the Yeti. And our job was transport the listener to these exotic locations, give it some mystery. It's a beautiful project to work on. I loved it, loved every minute. I went in very much looking for a physical creature. And I'm, although, you know, we have Richard as the more skeptical one, that's true. I come a bit more of a kind of like, there's lots of stuff we're told to accept that, that ain't actually true. And in my former job advising embassies, international organizations on their work in developing countries, one thing they don't do very well is listen to local voices, take them seriously. And so this, this Yeti thing touched a nerve with me. I felt other people are the naive ones. If they'd heard some of the stories I've heard, like look to that evidence, you know, Attenborough's putting forward, you'd think there's a good chance this thing could be there. You're being naive by just kind of dismissing it. Once we got into it, and we realized this thing was taken quite seriously up there and also had this role as a, a guardian of the forest, of nature. It was the bogeyman, it's the, it, the yeti that's going to come and get you if you're a bad kid. We heard the yeti accused of being the perpetrator of various crimes, murder, sexual assault. It was the yeti what done it. You can argue about what's going on there, you know, culturally and as a way of keeping the government out, etc. A pretty important role, right, Richard, that, that kind of got bigger as we went on, especially in Bhutan, I think. Absolutely. And I think that's the other element of this as we went on, the question of whether it physically exists, which is the kind of scientific question and the question we both set out to answer, Andy, you know, more positive and me more skeptical, became less important. And it became much more about well, what is the Yeti anyway and whether it exists or not obviously is critical from a scientific perspective, but from a cultural historical perspective, its physical existence is less important than the role it plays in the culture and in the oral history and the tradition. That's an incredibly important role, and that's not a scientific question, obviously. Even if it does exist, the local attitude towards it is 
kind of we fear and revere it and we don't need to necessarily get any more proof we know it's there would that be a good thing i won't forget in a hurry lakpadoma sherpa who's a yak herder and has been a yak herder for about 60 years she says she was attacked by a yeti in 1974 this was on the international wires back in the day in the in the times newspaper in the uk i'd heard about this story it was seen as very credible because a number of her yaks were killed and we actually managed to track her down up near everest still herding yaks in a little stone cottage on a mountainside that was kind of very very moving to meet her but i think i think richard's one's probably better which was a much more recent account right richard that you heard in bhutan without me when i was uh, sick with food/alcohol maybe a bit more alcohol poisoning so i was left alone to finish you know the most arduous hike up in up in bhutan of our of our journey and this was to go to a place that was kind of notorious where there'd been several reports of yeti sightings And that brings us back to the sound a bit because when you're wandering through a forest or across a mountainside in the daytime there are some strange noises you hear but there's something about the darkness that amplifies them and makes them more sinister because suddenly when you're alone in a tent on a mountainside at night all those little sounds not only are they kind of amplified by the darkness but also you know your your nervousness kind of gives them greater import and you start wondering what is that is it is it something out there that's going to get me now at no time did i think that i was going to be attacked by a yeti but there are bears up there that people see very regularly and you know they're definitely um, you know could pose some danger through the thin fabric of a tent there's that nighttime kind of yeah nighttime feeling but the next morning beautiful sunlit morning and i go to meet manny who's a who's a yak herder who said he saw a yeti just the year previous and he took me to the place where he saw it and he described the encounter and what was interesting about him was he was clearly a bit of a naturalist and and if it wasn't Bhutan where hunting is illegal you would say he was a bit of a hunter as well because he was pointing out you know where the deer like to eat the magnolia buds in the morning and where the you know where the different animals are and was seeing footprints in the mud so he was quite credible in the terms of his knowledge but also the way he told the story was very straightforward very down to earth he pointed out the rock that he hid behind and then when i showed him a series of photographs he went straight for the gorilla and said you know apart from the hair color which was more reddish brown that's what it looked like musculature and so on that i think for me was the was clearly the most credible story we'd heard and, and that shook my skepticism but by that point i was quite doubtful that we were really going to going to get anything clear and i was thinking yeah this yeti it's more of a mystical thing than a real thing but that one story made me really kind of challenged my ability to maintain my skepticism and i and i doesn't mean i suddenly believe the yeti exists but that one you know made it harder to 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 have this comfortable cloak of skepticism and just say ah this is all nonsense but how to explain it? it it's hard do you think that might have been enhanced by not being with andy for that section maybe i mean it's easier when andy is kind of excited and you know asking the questions and then i get all the kind of more 
skeptical stuff. I move into the skeptical mode and then I start to have all the what if but questions. But yeah, I guess I was I was the one then who was uh, who was much more in the Andy mode of wow, this is a really incredible story and and you know, this guy seems credible and if it wasn't, how do I explain all this? You know, he was someone who knew exactly what a bear was. He'd encountered bears before. It was it was quite close that he saw this animal as well. I do love that sequence from episode nine to episode 10, Andy's ill. I, I love the bit where you're in the tent and you're talking about how the darkness is making the sounds seem more exaggerated and you're really hushed. It was a really nice scene to build. And then the next morning I sort of put some zips in and had you sort of emerging from the tent. And then there was like a nice music cue that sort of felt more like sunrise. And that was a really nice scene to build, but you, like you were so quiet in the night and then you, you sound more open and relieved in the morning. For us as well, we could have just gone up and traveled around those areas. It would have been interesting, but we wouldn't have gone to the places we did. We wouldn't have met the people we did. You sit down, you start talking about Yetis, have some butter tea, and you end up talking about lots of other stuff. That's great at getting into yeah all kinds of things, culture, Buddhism, history, what we didn't want, you know, A, we're not going to see one ourselves up there a few weeks. That's super arrogant to think when local people, you know, rare to see it in a lifetime. And we really didn't want to do that thing that's been done before. Like, oh, a trig cracked. Was that a yeti? You know, something moved. No, we're sure it wasn't. It, it's, it's dark. It's night. There's lots of stuff up there. We were told about the noise it made. In Arunachal Pradesh in India, it was a kind of tawi. Oh, and you can do it better than that, Andy. Tawi! That was the one time, one of two times when we were really close. That was where someone was allegedly killed by one. And the guy was saying, yeah, we've seen them regularly in this area. And he'd heard that call. And then he imitated it for us because we asked him to. And at that point, moment, I was like, please don't let it, let there be a call coming back. Because like we're quite far from any safe place right now. Like I'm a bit, you know, I don't actually want it to be real right now. The other takeaways, it's about be, be curious, don't accept what you're always told, challenge accepted wisdom, realise that not everything's online, that, you know, people who live up in the mountains know a remarkable amount of stuff about flora and fauna and, and uh, climate and terrain that, you know, you won't necessarily find online. But then in the end, it became also about, yeah, is it is it really good to know everything? And, you know, you feel like this blundering kind of foreign beast that's coming in trampling over everything you know with with like oh yes but we have to we have to know we have to find out and tell everyone and uh, it's like no maybe maybe we don't at the end yeah i really can't recommend yeti enough as a series it's available now on bbc sounds and as i record this i'm eagerly awaiting the bonus episode to drop by the time you've heard this it'll be out so i hope you enjoy that like i say i really really recommend it thank you to andrew richard and dan for talking to me for this episode i loved making this one and if you enjoyed it then please like subscribe write a review that really helps people to find us which is a massive challenge and this podcast does take a lot of effort so i'd love for more people to find it 
And if you really want to say thanks, then go to tbone.productions. We've got a merch store there. You can get some pretty rad, sounds good, right stuff. This episode was recorded, produced, and sound designed by me, Tom Wally. Thank you for listening. Yo, T-Bone, did you produce this? Sounds good, right?